Hey, we have our guests for our community stories. I'm really excited to have a couple of ladies in this morning who are in the agriculture business, and they are going to be the featured speakers at the Minnesota State University's College of Business special Richard Schmidt Food Entrepreneurship Series that's free and open to the public. We'll talk more about that, but I want to introduce you to uh, the two guests that we have. One is Kristen Duncanson, who is the owner and partner of Highland Family Farms, which is a Mapleton Minnesota-based corn, soy, and hog farm, and Cheryl Meschke, who is a co-president and CEO of Associated Milk Producers Incorporated, which is in New Ulm, and I believe she also farms. Good morning, ladies. Good morning. It's great to have both of you on. I'm a farm girl myself, and I was just shocked to hear when Cheryl said, I think I've been on your farm, and now we've been off the farm for many, many years, Cheryl, but you visited there in in Amory, Wisconsin? Absolutely. Really? Uh, The the AMPI footprint is the entire upper Midwest. So Wisconsin, Minnesota, Dakotas, Nebraska, Iowa. In fact, uh, two of our largest cheese plants would be on both sides of Amory, one in Jim Falls, Wisconsin, and one in Blair. Well, I'll be darned. That's really, really interesting that you met my uh, my family. And we had we did have one of the biggest dairy farms in uh, Polk County. So that's really cool. Beautiful farm. Thank you very much. And you are also a farmer, correct, Cheryl? Correct. Uh, my husband, Blake, uh, our son, Brent, and his wife, Leslie, we operate a, a small diversified farm with uh, hogs and sheep corn, soybeans, and alfalfa. Okay, and we have Kristen, Kristen Duncanson, who is near Mapleton, also is with the Highland Family Farms. Tell me a little bit about your farms, Kristen. Great. Thank you, Karen. It's really fun to be here this morning on a snowy St. Patrick's Day. Um, Pat and I, my husband Pat and I, and a couple of our kids own Highland Family Farms. We're a corn, soy, and small grain farm and we have a um, presence in the hog industry. We finish what's called big, have pigs come to us um, in their in their adolescence and leave at maturity, as we like to say. But I also have Highland Consulting, which I work in the area of conservation, crop insurance, and do some advocacy for farmers and some policy development representing farmers um, with a couple of different organizations based in Washington, D.C. and Loveland, Colorado. What kind of conservation work do you do? That just, uh, I was just curious. Well, and on the one side here at our farm, Pat and I are engaged in a lot of different conservation practices, including reduced tillage. We've got a couple different um, uh, platforms of cover crops going, some waterways. We've been um, working really hard to be part of the water certification um, program through the state of Minnesota, engage in whatever we can in conservation practices. That's part of the pillars of Highland Family Farm as an environmental sustainability pillar. On the other hand, I work in policy development on what what we can do uh, to encourage more adoption of conservation by producers across the country. That's wonderful. I'm glad to hear that. My dad was one of the early adopters um, back in the 70s and would have Congress people visit because of the conservation methods he was doing way back then when nobody else was thinking of it. So I'm really glad to hear that. It's just an awesome thing because water quality is so important. 
Now, both of you are females in agriculture, which is not that unusual, but I guess being some of the top leaders in agriculture is not that unusual anymore either. But I don't think there's as many women in in leaders as there are, are males. What's it been like for you in the industry? Has it been easy? Have you uh, broken through any barriers at all? Because we'll start with, um, we'll start, I see that uh, Kristen had, has something to, to say, and then we'll go to Cheryl. I was going to say I wanted Cheryl to start, oh, but that's okay. okay. <laughs> no, I'll go ahead. So, you know, um, I've, I've been very lucky. I'm not going to say it hasn't been without out of challenges. I started my career as an as an intern on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. And so I came to agriculture kind of through the back door. Um, I didn't grow up on a farm. This is my husband's farm where he's fifth uh, generation. And then uh, after I left DC, I came back to the Midwest and worked for a feed company where I was their first female outside salesperson. And they put me in a territory up along the Minnesota Canadian border where not only had they not seen a feed salesperson, but <laughs> certainly not a woman feed salesperson. So always some, um, always some interesting conversations between the silos with the wind blowing at 30 miles an hour and it's 42 below, you know, that kind of thing to kind of prove my muster. But uh, Cheryl and I will both tell you we're in a relationship business and we still are. And once you do your homework and you're prepared and you know that um, you're out there to help farmers um, and, you know, sell a product at that time, I was working for a feed company and um, people, people are very generous though, but it's not without having to, um, really do your know what you're talking about and champion some things more so than some of your male counterparts um especially in those days keep in mind i'm kind of old now <laughs> so um you know things have changed but um i i'm feeling i've gotten to do a lot of of things and um being in women ag in ag is is a is a privilege in lots of different ways now cheryl you are one of the leaders at the ampi in New Ulm. What exactly is it that you do there? I am privileged to be the co-president and CEO with Don DeVelder for the past uh, six years. Uh, both of us have worked at AMPI for, um, I'm, I've exceeded 30 now, I think Don has exceeded 35. And so the cooperative, to, to describe it in a nutshell, produces 10% of the country's American style cheese oh, wow. and 10% of the country's butter and 10% of the processed cheese, uh, think uh, slices on your burger, and it's all farmer owned. And so it's a, uh, it's a privilege to work for the dairy farmers. Have you found challenges in, in your role as a woman in the business? Obviously you're on an equal level because you said you were co-president. You know, it'll be good when we don't ask that question, right? Well, exactly, I mean, but I mean- For all of us. Yeah. Um, you know, when I, when I look back, I, I grew up on a, a family farm near Good Thunder, Minnesota. Um, I'm the oldest and only girl okay. and then brothers. There was a little gender bias on the farm. Uh, when dad needed help cleaning hog barns, it was whoever was available. So I, I approached life and agriculture with that mindset that the brothers and I uh, all did the same work. And, and so uh, that probably explains a lot about who I am. And, and I think it's really important to give, you know, there's that 
term that we talk about standing on other people's shoulders. Right. I think it's really important to note that in, in dairy and agriculture, those shoulders are men and women who have gone before us and helped, uh, uh, helped us believe that, uh, that we could be the next generation to uh, take over the reins and to, uh, to work for, in my case, dairy farmers. We were one of, oh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I was just going to say too, I, and through time, I think we'll both say that our mentors and our peers have become, uh, are both male and female and have always been um, helpful and given us the kind of criticism as well as support that we've needed. I was in a leadership position with the Soybean Growers Association, both on the state and national level chairman of the Agri-Growth Council here in Minnesota as the first female person. But as I look at the mentors and peers through that, those relationships, both men and women wouldn't have been able to do it without any of them. I was just going to say, I grew up with just three girls in our family that was daughters and, and people, we had a, one of the largest dairy farms in the county and, and people would always ask my dad, don't you wish you had sons because you have so much work? And my dad would look at them and say, why do you ask that? He goes, my daughters can do anything that any man can do and probably better because they know when to stop before they really wreck something. Because like if you get stuck in the field, we'd ask for help before we drive it in the ground. So in, in a sense, I grew up similar to you guys. And so it was always, it's neat to hear that from you ladies as well. Now you're going to be speaking as part of the Richard Schmidt's Food Entrepreneurship series, which is really an honor because they choose people that they feel have a lot to offer. What are some of the things that you are going to be covering in that lecture that's coming up? And we'll talk about how people can get involved in that later. But let's, uh, you know, just chat about what sorts of things are you going to be sharing? I I think that uh, what's on everyone's mind, that this uh, original uh, project started more than a year ago and, and was canceled with the onset of the pandemic. So we look back at, at how the pandemic affected uh, agriculture, each of our businesses. We look at uh, what that means going forward, the types of decision making points that we are looking at. And then finally, we also uh, dive into food and ag and careers in that space and uh, thoughts about uh, the potential there. Cheryl, I guess I haven't been following it closely, but you always hear about the milk prices. And when we were farmers, it was always an issue. In fact, some got, times it got so bad, people would just dump milk. Where is it at now in terms of the prices? Are the prices decent enough that farmers can survive? And how are things going with the delivery? Because with the pandemic, I know delivery of a lot of things has been an issue. Yeah, let's take that first question about the marketplace. Uh, prior to 2020, we went through five of the most difficult years, frankly, since AMPI was formed uh, back in 1969. Uh, very def difficult economic conditions. It's not that 2020 wasn't difficult, but there was a lot of government uh, intervention, right. help on both sides, uh, not only on the farm, but AMPI in particular, which I'll speak to, uh, in our eight manufacturing plants, we have one plant that is destined just for food service. So you know where that story is going. Uh, so early in the pandemic, we were advocating with folks on Capitol Hill that if they were going to do any type of food buy for uh, those challenged right now with, with uh, putting food on the table, that they would be sure to request uh, food from lines that were idled due to the food service shutdown. 
because on the other side, retail, it was booming. And, and we, were, we were moving milk through those manufacturing plants absolutely uh, as quickly as we could while keeping all of the players safe. And that's what I'm most proud of is, um, is just the steps we took and the respect for all the steps in our supply chain, uh, again, to, to keep those, those essential workers safe. Did you ever have issues like some of the, the meat industry had where, you know, they lost a lot of employees out because of the, the COVID? Did you, is there anything similar in comparison in the dairy industry? Again, just speaking for AMPI, not to that extreme. Okay. Uh, and so as a cooperative, the pandemic did not cause us to dump any milk, for instance. Well, that's good. <laughs> uh, uh, there, there have been uh, instances where uh, there's, there's more open spots for employment than would have been typical. Um, I think all the conditions around the pandemic contributed to that. But proud to say we kept the milk flowing. And, uh, you know, it's important to note that in Gallup's uh, 20 years of tracking Americans' views on very b- various business and industry, farming and agriculture was the clear leader in 2020 for the first time. And I really think that America's consumer has a greater appreciation for the food supply, the, the supply chain, and food security. I think it opened a lot of people's eyes and how things are made. I want to turn to Kristen and ask her how it impacted her being on not the dairy side, but the more the crop and hog side. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so for us, I'm not going to shy away from the fact there were some sleepless nights about where some of our animals were going to go. But we were very fortunate in that we were able to um, put them on a diet per se or hold them in our barns just a little bit longer until the plants where they were going for processing got stable. And we're also very lucky in where we live, we have access, albeit with a little more freight to, you know, to have to pay to get the animal there to several plants within the system that we were working with. So we um, worked really closer with the buyer, which is the guy who sets up um, where the pigs are going to go and when, and made sure that when we had animals ready to go, they could go. And it may be different than we had planned, but we were able to be flexible and do what we needed to. So we did okay, but it was pretty intense. Well, On there the are some. Side, I was. I wanted to say about the hogs. There were some we heard where people killed entire herds because of the pandemic and they couldn't find places to do it. Is that something you knew about or had friends maybe who were impacted by that? Yeah, thank you for asking that one too. Yes, there were people who had to depop or um, euthanize some animals, um, neighbors here in the area. Uh, we did not have to do that. We are very, very fortunate. The state of Minnesota did offer some help with that to those folks who had to do that. But yeah, some people had to make some really tough decisions. You know, this is your, not only your livelihood, but it's your lifestyle. It's just part of your being. And for those folks who work closely in those um, barns, it's tough. We, but we made it through. Things are doing, uh, you know, producers are doing uh, fairly well now and we're, we're optimistic. I was gonna add though, on our cropping side, 
like the dairy farmers, we had come off of five years of really poor pricing. I mean, the prices, and we can go on and on about why that happened, but suffice it to say, really an economic downturn. Then for us, um, uh, we supply ethanol plants and America stopped driving. So all of a sudden we had another decrease in value in our crop. Now that's starting to come back a bit. We're seeing trade with China, trade with other countries as new agreements are are coming to be. So our corn and soybeans are optimistically uh, higher in price and and we're able to rebound. But we also had the opportunity and the fortune to have some help from the government to help us get those those bills paid to the to the repair places we didn't um find out on you know it wasn't something like we had this positive balance all of a sudden on our balance sheet but we were able to pay our bills and look forward to planting in the spring and and we had a in a beautiful crop a great spring to plant a crop in a nice summer and really a a all wonderful fall so uh, we're able to rebound not everyone is as lucky as this part of the country but so far, um, things are looking pretty good too for this spring and trade with China has certainly increased and we're optimistic that they'll continue to buy. Was there any, you're on the policy side, Kristen, was there any policy that was very helpful or very hurtful in terms of during the, these times with for you and I your think farmers? Having, yeah, having USDA and the country recognize that we needed some immediate help was very helpful to us. I mean, lots of different industries, restaurants, hospitality, really suffered, but we were um, amongst those folks that got help pretty quickly through PPP and idle loans or um, market facilitation payments. Those helped us out and, and, you know, USDA has the authority through part of their mission to do that pretty quickly. Now, I'm not sure which of you wants to answer this, but I know agriculture has really changed during the year since I was heavily involved in it on the the family farm. You know, we had the small farms, but we were one of the bigger ones then, and we would be considered small by today's standards. So how how has the agriculture industry had to adapt, and where do you see things moving in the future in terms of whether it's the automation, the the workers? I know there's even worker shortages, things like that. Um, Talk in general about your specific industry and how you've had to maybe flex, be flexible and, and what uh, adjustments you've had to make. So it's there's exciting stuff out there. I mean, think of the technology changes in just my 34 years on the farm. You know, even your cell phone is a right. vital portion of our operation now. We track rainfall. We track which farms got rain where. Um, and not are we always dependent on just what's on our phone. We still go out and scout, but maybe that helps us set the priority for the day, that technology. A certain farm got more rain in, than another, so maybe we're going out to um, harvest or, or plant even on that farm first. We're still going to go out and scout because it's still the human touch thing. If you get in the combine right now at Cheryl's place or at my place, kind of looks like the inside of a cockpit of an airplane. I mean, there's lots of cool technology that help us farm in a way that is um, much more precision oriented in, in that we farm by the foot. We know what the exact input based on the soil test 
that needs to go on, how many nutrients have been applied, and then at the other end, what those nutrients have done for yield and harvest. We know exactly how much fuel we're burning at a given time through a monitor. So technology has really allowed us um, to say nothing of seed hybridization, biotechnology allowed us to be more um, uh, productive, which is always our goal. Farmers do two things all the time, try to increase their productivity and try to eliminate risk. And technology certainly has brought about the opportunity to do both those things really well. My dad always used to say farming was like gambling because the weather is really one of your biggest factors. And, and he said, you know, you don't know. One year might be great, one year might be not. I'm going to turn to Cheryl and ask her in the dairy industry, what are some of the, in the same line of questioning, some of the big changes you've had to adjust to or things that has, have advanced the industry? You know, in our cooperative, we will have milk trucks picking up dairies that are <clears throat> 30 cows and dairies that are 3,000 cows, and they can be side by side. And really, it's it's their internal efficiencies that that drive their bottom line. The same thing goes with our manufacturing facilities. Um, we have a, an artisan plant in South Dakota that takes in about 300,000 pounds of milk a day, whereas most of our cheese plants take in a, a 3 million pounds a day. So those are examples of operations that in their own right are are profitable but they approach it differently uh and and so every farmer it's very tough i you know you can put some benchmark numbers out there but how they get to those you're going to have many different types okay what are some other things you would like people to know about the industries of agriculture because i think as you mentioned, I think Cheryl mentioned this, that a lot of people during the pandemic became more aware of where their food came from just because of all of a sudden there it wasn't always there on the shelf. So what are some things maybe people aren't aware of that's happening in the ag industry that are important to acknowledge or to, to consider? Well, I, I think that uh, an example of what AMPI launched uh, a couple of years ago, our co-op crafted trademark. And that is that uh, whether it's on our own brand, Dinnerbell Creamery, or whether it's on now through a licensing agreement with Crystal Farms, if you see the co-op crafted trademark, that represents the whole chain that came before that package. And so it's Upper Midwest Dairy Farm families, it's their uh, unrivaled depth of knowledge at our manufacturing plants about making those products. It's a stewardship commitment. It is a, a animal handling commitment. There's so much detail that gets to that one co-op crafted promise. And, and that's agriculture. Uh, farmers, farmers are continuously improving. And uh, I just think the transparency of today's marketplace, uh, that's going to be recognized more and more. How about on your end? Kristen. You know, I love I love the partners we work with. They are young, they're enthusiastic, whether it's a soil scientist from the co-op or an independent agronomist, a seeds or input salesperson, or just our partners on the other end that, of where we sell to. There's a lot of opportunity in food and agriculture that I don't think people always think about. Mm -hmm. And I think the pandemic kind of heightened that. Um, when they saw, um, you know, how grocery stores dealt with the idea that was, uh, there was a little blip 
in the supply chain, there was a lot of conversations about, okay, so how does product move from the farm to the processor to the shelf? I know I did a lot of interviews with um, newspapers and radio stations across the country during that time, just explaining how that happens. And not only was it a good uh, opportunity to heighten that to consumers, but it also highlighted um, where there's opportunities for jobs and careers in agriculture that um, may be quite local, but have a global impact. So there's a lot to, to uh, learn, but also great ways to have impact. I noticed in education that they're even here at Minnesota State University, they're bringing more agriculturally based classes and things back that haven't always been there, including in the school system. I know in Mankato school system, they brought back the FFA and agriculture and things like that. So uh, is that going to be a trend? Because it seems to me I've heard that there isn't always enough people to go into the industry and, and there may be shortages. Is that still the case? You know, we, like every industry, I think right now, we struggle a little bit with finding um, folks that want to engage at different portions of the supply chain. That being said, the renewed interest by the school systems, by the college, knowing that you um, can take a class in ag finance at um, Mankato State or University of Minnesota Mankato, MSUM, we call it at our house. I forget what the acronym is. MNSU, but, but close enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. But, uh, you know, there's, um, there, I think there's more interest now and, um, and, and it's exciting field. I recently had a conversation with a young person who is starting um, a tilapia operation just over the border in Iowa. Wow! And what a <laughs> what a great thing! Utilizing a small toll mill for a specific feed product that they need, buying all their ingredients that they the mill does through you know right from neighbors or um, a, a artisan cheese like Cheryl was talking about. We have a mutual friend who's really involved in an on-farm cheese plant too. There's a lot of opportunity, um, vertical farming in urban areas, um, renewed interest there, renewed interest in raising bees for honey, as well as for better pollination. So there's, people are doing a great job of getting folks ready to engage in those careers. We have more work to do, don't get me wrong, but that renewed, um, opportunity has certainly come across the education in uh, platforms too, knowing that, hey, this is something people want to learn about. And I've noticed a lot more interest in the organic uh, aspect and even people starting growing their own food seems to be kind of a big deal during the pandemic. Yes. If you tried to buy seed last spring for your garden, it was tricky. Right. Um, <laughs> And that was really fun to see. People had a renewed interest in it. I had some friends from um, Washington, D.C. call for uh, asking about how to get their tomatoes started in their two by three garden in front of their apartment. Um, uh, so it's it's fun. It's fun to see people's interest. How about you, Cheryl? You know, I think that a silver lining in the pandemic is that we suddenly were able to work from almost anywhere, depending of course on your job. That is gonna open up opportunity for rural America. <clears throat> if you go through Broadway in New Ulm and see our, our office, our used to be a grocery store, uh, who knew that $2 billion worth of business goes through uh, this cooperative owned by farmers. AMPI is the largest cheese cooperative based in the US 
And it's just, uh, it just is in New All, Minnesota. And so again, I think that we're recognizing the contributions of agriculture. Uh, efforts like the Green Seam are, are making headlines out of it. It's always been here, but uh, those headlines along with uh, our ability to work in so many more locations, I think we're gonna see some some resurgence that's the, the correct word I, I notice even within the dairy industry there's a lot more innovation in terms of the types of food you know you go to the greek yogurts and and the, the going with the, the keto diets all uh, the high protein things like that it seems like there's just a lot more innovation happening i think my favorite innovative product that is available i think at high v is a carolina reaper what's it's a shredded cheese that is the Ooh. pepper that's one of the highest on the Scoville scale and it is really good when coupled with a, a, a thick burger. Oh wow because I, I love pepper cheese but I don't think I've ever <clears throat> I haven't gone that hot yet Cheryl <laughs> so I have to do that. Now you are both going to be speaking at with the College of Business here at Minnesota State University as a part of the Richard Smith a food entrepreneurship series and that is coming up next Wednesday so a week from today it's from 3 30 to 5 p.m and that will be done virtually correct yes so we are very pleased to have been able to deliver um, this webinar and then have some interaction albeit virtual with whoever um, signs up to be part of it it's very humbling to be part of this um, part of this presentation in this series. Working with the College of Business at, at your university has been great. Um, what a fine institution. And so Cheryl and Brenda Flannery and I had a fireside chat that we taped last week that was really fun. And so if you tune in, you'll get to see that. And then we'll have some time for Q&A. And we really look forward to the interaction in particular with students about uh, answering questions about what we do. And like Cheryl mentioned, that whole global thing that's open to us right from our um, home offices now it could be your kitchen table. I know it's free and open to the public. Are, are there any other targets? Are you doing it in any schools specifically? I assume maybe with the university, are you doing it with any high schools or other groups or is it just open to whoever? I think it's open to anyone who signs up and the, uh, although we taped some, some conversations sure. earlier, there will be a Q&A at, at the end. So we look forward to that. I think that sounds great because uh, just just such a, a, a wonderful thing to see women in agriculture and what you guys are doing and contributing to the industry and how, you know, the innovation. And it's just it's just, just wonderful to have you both from our area. So I want to thank you both for coming on the show. Anything else you'd like to add before I, I let you go? We're out of time, unfortunately, but it's been so fun to talk with you, Cheryl and Kristen, and learn a little bit more about your industry and, and your, you yourselves. And I, I appreciate being interviewed by a farm girl. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in fact, I'm going to go back into the archives of our Dairyman's Digest magazine and try to dig up some photos from your family farm. Oh, wonderful. Uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, so just, uh, just fun to reconnect with you. You too. Thank, thank you. you. Oh, go ahead. Thank you so much for having us. It's always fun to um, be able to talk about things that we're passionate about. And we look forward to engaging with folks next week. 
Oh, it sounds like a great opportunity for folks to learn so much more. And if you want to learn more, you can go to the Minnesota State University website, go to mnsu.edu, and it'll be under the, the list of events and things. It's called the Richard Smith Food Entrepreneurship Series, free and open to the public. You just have to register to be online and, and see them via the Zoom and ask ask questions all um, a lot of things that I probably didn't cover here a lot of folks might want to know thanks again ladies we appreciate it and you have a great rest of your day thank you yep bye-bye